Welcome to the Meaningful Revolution podcast, where we talk about people's passions and hope to inspire you to your own. We also answer the question, what if you could just add 1% more meaning to your life every day for the next year? So join us on this Meaningful Revolution. I'm your host, Sean Butner, Certified High Performance Coach, and we have a really great episode for you today, so let's get into it. Welcome to the Meaningful Revolution podcast. I am your host, certified high performance coach, Sean Butner. Today, we're talking with one of my good friends, Dr. Emmanuel uh, George, Dr. EG3, affectionately. He's a high performance coach who helps professionals recognize their full leadership potential by embracing their innate gifts, talents, and abilities through authentic coaching and mentorship. And he's very uh, driven by his convictions. He's dedicated his life to positively contribute and enhance the world around him. So like the cities, he's from New Orleans, Louisiana. Dr. EG3 has a distinct perspective on hard work, diligence, and what it takes to be successful, having worked in multiple industries and practice settings, healthcare, real estate, leadership, just to name a few. Uh, He's often referred to as a jack of all trades, master of none by himself, of course, Um, And his primary focus these days is to help individuals like you who are interested in creating the life you are destined to live. So with that, welcome, Dr. EG3. Uh, Did I miss anything? Is there anything else? Sean, Sean, as always, man, you know, you make me sound way more exciting than probably my lived (laughs) experience. So I appreciate it, man. You missed nothing. (laughs) Awesome. Cool. All right. So uh, today, folks, we're going to be talking about leadership. Uh, One of... uh, uh, Dr. EG3's specialties. And so um, as we, we get into it, um, I'm just curious, why is the topic of leadership important to you? No, leadership is so important to me because I feel as though we don't have a much, much education around it. And when I mean education, I'm not talking about necessarily going uh, get a degree or anything like that, where I think those things are useful. I think we don't have a lot of people who are really geared to being true leaders. We like the idea of leadership. We like the idea of being in charge. We like the idea of the salary, the corner office, the hierarchy of me being on top of it, right? But we don't really recognize the true impact of what leadership has. Leadership affects people um, not groups of people, you know, you think uh, you've, your audience may have already heard it, had it said once before, you know, people don't quit organizations, they quit people. That is a true thing. That's a, a true statement. Um, leaders can impact organizations uh, significantly. They impact individuals. They impact literally everyone around them. And I think that just helping people to become better leaders, recognizing their true leadership potential, but then also differentiating what leadership is not is is very key that i really try to help people differentiate awesome i i love that so you know the whole idea of the podcast is creating meaning in your life so you can fully live into a better version of yourself and i think where that crosses over with leadership is we definitely find meaning in the things that we do the actions we take we also find meaning in the relationships that we have and build around us and i think it's we probably talk about it, we'll find that that relationship component, because you had mentioned it in your explanation just now, is super important for that connection to meaning in our lives. So with that said, uh, how did you really get into leadership? How did you learn to love this topic? How did you, uh, what, is there a moment in your life where you're like, I need to figure this out? 
Um, you know, what's a story, I guess, that got you on this track to to really love this topic? Yeah, what really started me to really understand uh, the, the idea of leadership was a true self-exploration. Um, really recognizing and appreciating who I was in, as an individual and being able to step into those strengths and recognize that I'm created exactly as who I am um, physically. There's some innate talents and the gifts that are inside of me, and it's truly embracing those. I think the culture today has a tendency of helping us to focus on what we're not. You know, uh, you're not tall enough. You're not cute enough. You're not beautiful enough. You, you're the wrong size, the wrong weight. Um, you don't have the right degree, the wrong background. But I think the reality of it is, is that we were all created uh, very uniquely to fulfill a role. And I think we need to do a better job of allowing people to embrace that. And I think for myself, when I recognize, and, I, and I'll just give a very quick story, um, I, was, I played a lot of sports in high school, football, basketball, and track. And if you ever meet me in person, I can tell you I'm not you know, the typical basketball build. You know, in ninth grade, when everyone else grew, uh, your boy, Dr. EG3, stopped growing. You know, back then I was just, you know, five foot nothing. You know, five five is uh, where I topped out at, right? But again, in the grand scheme of it, I can tell you what I recognized through that season was that I shied away from things. Like as, as good as I was at basketball and as much as I liked it, I felt insecurity about, well, you know, everyone else grew six inches over the summer and I'm still the same height. And I never really went back to it in my last couple of years of, of, of school. And, you know, maybe I wasn't good enough. Who knows, right? But at the end of the day, I can tell you the internal drive that I have was, you know what, I don't fit this mold anymore. And, you know, I can tell you that was far, so far from the truth. And when I started to play in, uh, you know, adult leagues in college with a lot of my high school classmates and college classmates, I was able to step into a gift that was free. You know, they started to refer me as the coach and it was funny. And I was helping them like, you know, working on their 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 footwork and telling them running plays. And I was on the field and I, and I stepped into it. Hey, you know, I was a good passer, good dribbler. You know, I could shoot. But at the end of the day, I get it. I was never going to dunk again. It was just not part. It's not part of the cards. Right. Yeah. And, and in those moments, what I recognized from that basketball was that, you know, Looking back, even on a football field, I was always the one staying back, working with the quarterback, learning and becoming a student of what I was working on. And it just allowed me to have a much freer expectation of like systems, processes, but then really leaning into who I was. So when I think about playing on the football field or in those early years of college, you know, really embracing who I was and what I brought to the table, that allowed me to step forward in a way that I don't know otherwise if I really would have, if I would have stayed in that not that lack of mentality, that not good enough mentality. It was like, hey, here's who I am. I'm not changing these other things. So how do I step into the gifts that I have, you know, and really make those better, right? Then right. versus whatever my perceived deficits were. Make sure my assets were much more than what I perceived as being my liabilities. And again, I always just figured that out. And that was kind of like a turning point. Okay, right on. So with stepping into that, coach position into that leadership position. I think you handed at this before that we talk about leadership. We think it's a really good idea, but there's not a lot of edu actual education on it. It's more like you're thrown in the situation. You got to use the force. You know, you got to kind of figure it out as you go. Hopefully you don't make too many mistakes, but part of the expectation is you need to get those self-learned lessons early on figured out. So I I'm curious when did you start to approach it as a discipline and start to actually pull together things where it wasn't just you personally 
figuring out on the court in that particular example or in the organizations I know you, you led later and, and pharmacy and, and whatnot, but um, was there a turning point where you're like, okay, so this is important. I need to figure this out. I know good leadership will highlight the best in people so they don't have that that self-doubt, but how do I really get disciplined about this? Yeah, no, definitely. What I remember, I remember early on, even through college, just having jobs in college and working at a couple of different places, I soon recognized leadership is a team sport. Mm -hmm. And what I mean by that is not necessarily the person who makes the final decision, the one who gets the big check, the one who has that gold name badge, right? Um, but it's more about you, you learn these things through engaging with others. You know, you can sit here and, you know, try to figure it out on your own. But if you don't have a, a level of humility to recognize that you don't always have the right answer, I think that's the issue. Um, I have a I have a, a phrase, if I'm the smartest person in the room, well, by dog it, I'm in the wrong room. If I'm the one at the top of the food chain, especially when we're talking about complex problems or something like that, right? Um, because, you know, what I learned was that, you know, you need people to refine and challenge you and, you know, question what you're doing to make, guess what? Sometimes we need to check our own motives and we need to be okay having people around them to just be asked that question of what about this? Um, and, you know, I, I remember early on as a, as a young manager, it was difficult because, you know, you feel there's a level of insecurity that you have about, man, I don't want to ask someone because I don't want them to think I don't know. I got these people mm -hmm. that are looking up to me and responsible, and I want to make sure that I appear to be um, uh, very smart and intelligent. And, but really leadership, there's a level of vulnerability that's necessary. And, you know, through the what I think the thing that was most influential to me was that I had an opportunity to work under a lot of good managers mm -hmm. and some not so good managers. And what I do remember was, and I remember saying this, oh, you know, when I wanted to be a pharmacist is what, I, what I'm referring to. I remember saying, oh, I like the way the, that pharmacist did this. I like the way this manager did it that way. Oh, I don't like the way that person did that. So I really was cherry picking these skills. Now, looking back on it, that was so influential, right? Where I was literally looking at all of these people and I was cherry picking things that I liked about their characteristics, their personality, some of the skills, and I was rejecting the things that I didn't. So really through an experiential experience of just living life with them, I was able to become an amalgam and I was able to take on their lessons, right? That they gained uh, through time. And, you know, and again, and with that being said, it was also the mentorship, you know, being able to ask them questions. So really, that's kind of how I recognize leadership is a team sport that you grow together with other people. And you have to be okay with that. Right, 100%. I think that's such an important thing to underline. Again, that like, sometimes the idea of leadership, and, you know, my uh, job as a coach, mm -hmm. talking with people is it's, one person makes the difference. One person makes all the decisions. When it's, it's a very lonely, isolated type thing, mm -hmm. where I, to back up your experience, the teams that I worked on where the manager was communicative, was collaborative, was trying to make sure that everyone had a little bit of skin in the game, had a little bit of say what's going on, were the teams that did amazing things and were the highest functioning, right? Agreed. So uh, I, I absolutely love that. So um, on 
your leadership journey then? Uh, you hinted at this before where, um, you know, learning that it's a team sport versus it's just, you know, one, one person calling all the shots. Um, are there any types of um, struggles or challenges that you think are, are really helpful for people to, to realize might happen or that you overcame mm -hmm. uh, that were really formative for you? No, no. And I think I think you hit it at it. I, I think you did it incidentally. Um, you know, you referenced when you talked about your individuals you coach and the perspective of leadership is lonely. The reality of it, it, it that is a kind of a true statement. So I think it's fair for your audience to um, uh, for me to highlight that it is a little. But, but what it is, it's not that it's lonely because you don't have people. It's that the individuals you, whose company you keep now are a little different, because mm -hmm. if you work for an organization, you know, most organizations have fraternizing, you know, type of clauses or, or you can't, you know, uh, hang out with your team after hours or stuff like that. And it does become a little lonely because as you ascend upwards and within an organization, the, your peer group gets smaller. You know, if we were to think about, I mean, I know I'm coming back to healthcare, but just to maybe um, illustrate it, when I'm a pharmacist, um, I have a lot of colleagues, you know, we have a lot of pharmacists that might work within the hospital that I'm in. We may have, you know, what, 17 of them that work to cover all the shifts. But if you become the pharmacy manager, mm, you might, you know, your peer group is now not at the hospital anymore. It's at the other hospital down the street. Right. And if you go further up and you're now a director, right, it becomes smaller and just the individuals that you can connect with. So I think that is an adjustment um for yourself uh as you ascend upward but it's also especially to speak to those leaders who get promoted within the same team um mm -hmm. yes your function changes but then also what happens is that team that yesterday you were their colleague and today you're their boss their relationship with you changes as well um, mm -hmm. because the one thing that you know i had to recognize and that was being a pharmacist a pharmacy manager regional supervisor professor associate dean your whoever is your subordinate group whoever they are there's always going to be a sense of tension there because being the leader being the boss being the supervisor um you have a level of power that you need to recognize that again there's going to be a little bit of you know um hesitancy between the relationship just because again your decisions your voice as the leader means way more than it did before that promotion and it's being able to recognize that and not take that for granted. Um, and I know I, I get, like you, I get to work with a lot of great young leaders and that is sometimes the struggle that they have. People that were friends the day before they get promoted the next day and they're like, well, why do they treat me different? And it's like, well, because of that tension that's there, you now hold a power over them. You may not wield it, but it's still there though, right? You determine whether or not they get hours, you determine their salary, you determine their grades. And that tension has to be recognized. But again, you have to wield that power with uh, genuine humility because, again, it does affect people. A hundred percent. I know when I worked at uh, Walmart Corporate, one of the leadership practices, if you got went into management, they purposefully moved you to a team where you didn't know anyone to avoid a lot of that yeah. um, heartburn as you get promoted and everything changes uh, so I'm, I'm curious then, in those types of situations, how can you soften that tension or how do you directly address that or tension between um, people that you're leading or people that are looking up to the leader? 
No, definitely. So I'll say this. I, I agree with uh, the, the practice that you experience. You should get promoted somewhere else. I, I know that you may have grown up with that team or you feel yeah. most comfortable there. And that's why you want to be a leader because of that team. But for your own growth you probably need to go to another team or another location um, only being, and again, I know that may sound, you know, oh man, that's unfair that I ha that I'm the one that has to move and I'm doing the good work. I, you know, I got the promotion. Why do I have to leave? Because it allows you to grow as a leader because, you know, part of leadership is getting uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it's just replanting you somewhere else helps that because you get a clean slate. Because what I will tell you is just like you might know the team, guess what? They know you too. They're going to think about what y'all did two Tuesdays ago, right? At happy hour. They're going to think about, you know, all of the little gossipy things that may have occurred or things you were part of before that it's going to be hard for them to disassociate that with. Now, obviously, we know there's teams out there that that's just kind of how it happens. And I really think that, you know, as a leader, we acknowledge these things head on. I think I think there's there I think there's power in truth and I think there's power of just admitting you know the way it is. Hey guys, look, I understand that this is a a new situation. Um, I understand that I was once one with your colleague a couple of days ago. And again, as much as I don't want things to change, I recognize that our relationship has to evolve. And I said, but again, I want us to be as open, as honest, as connected as we can. Um, as the boss, there's going to be some things that I can no longer do like I did before. That doesn't mean I don't care. That doesn't mean I'm not uh, concerned about you, but it's the dynamics now have to change because now I have a different set of responsibilities, you know? And I think it, it, I think people respond well and they, they'll say, oh yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, that, I don't like that, but that makes sense. Everyone gets to set, get it to set on the same page. But I think that responsibility falls on the leader to be able to articulate that. And to be able to say that to the team and, you know, again, you've been a part of this group. So you have, I don't want to call it a competitive advantage, but you understand the team though. So, yeah. you know, Susan, you know, proclivities, you know, these things, but guess what? You use that to your advantage, meaning to help her be her best self, right? You don't use those conversations against her. Or you have another, Tom, you know the, the what pushes Tom's buttons to help motivate him. You can do that, but it's also about for their benefit, not necessarily for your own. But I think communication and honesty and humility will definitely help to soften some of that because everyone's nervous now. If right is tension, like, ooh, is a man going to be a jerk now? Now that he's the boss, you know, and hopefully I represented myself well before that, where people are like, he wouldn't do that. Woody, right? But there's always that <laughs> resistance. There's always because they don't know, right? Yeah. So I think the honesty, the humility, and just open communication would definitely help soften that blow. Right on, right on. Um, as we're talking about this, is there any other big lessons you can't? Because that's amazing, right? Um, I, I'm just trying to think. So other than being or recognizing that relationships change as you move up the food chain as yeah. it is, uh, what other things come to mind that 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 maybe you struggled with or things that you learned that were like, oh, I, this is a really awesome opportunity. This is really just I never thought about this, but this is really cool. Yeah. What 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 I what I also recognize as, as I've kind of progressed into different roles um, is that you're still a leader, even if you don't have the title. Yeah. And I always will say, yes, leadership's a team sport, but it's also about individual development. 
And what I've come to recognize is leadership really has an, you know, in, in the academic world, you know, there's a lot of books and stuff about this that it's referred to as big L leadership, where it comes with the title. But there's right. also the idea of leadership where it's a little L, which means it's that's informal. It's about influence. It's about connections. We've all been or seen operations or been a part of teams where the person who has the title, hmm, they may not really be the leader of the group. You know, if you sit back and watch, I've had, you know, the blessing to, to you know, do some work with organizations where you get to come in and assess and see what's going on. And sometimes it doesn't take long to be able to see who's really running the show. Mm -hmm. Right. And what I mean by that's the person who has the most influence, who their voice carries the most weight. And again, it's not always the person at the top with the big L leadership title. And the lesson that I really learned from that was that your personal development is so important even if you're not interested in the big L title. And I'll just give a very quick story. I remember when I became a regional supervisor and, you know, I kind of ascended through the ranks and it was all about understanding systems and processes and no understanding the why behind the why questions. And I remember I was trying to train all 40 of my pharmacy managers to be regional supervisors. I was like, I want to give them as much knowledge, as much skill, as as much, you know, information so that one day when they're ready, they can be a pharmacy supervisor and regional supervisor. It was probably the worst 14 months of my life. And it was probably the worst 14 months of their life. And what I recognized <laughs> from that was that, you know, some people were just looking for something different. A lot of them didn't want to be a regional supervisor. Some of them were just I want to be able to have some skills to be able to affect my team and do great work in the community. Some others were just, I want to learn how to get off on time where I'm not working 40 plus hours a week. I just want to get off when it's done. Or, hey, some were just, I want to learn some skills on how I can maintain a staff where I'm not always running short in a deficit and we're working, you know, extra just to keep up. And there were some who wanted to be it, right? But again, because I was putting what I wanted on them, it didn't give them the opportunity to step into what they really wanted to be. Right. And really, you know, I'm not going to call it a stain on, on how I view, but it was, you know, looking back, it was a little bit of an embarrassment. Like I was doing something that wasn't about me. It was about, you know, excuse me, it was about me. It was, it wasn't about them. Like, right. It was really about, again, and it was, it was my interpretation of what I thought they wanted or what they needed. And that was completely unfair. That was completely disrespectful to what they wanted. I think that I still did it in a pleasant way and I was kind and I wasn't like a vitreous like manager or anything like that, but I wasn't thinking about them. And, you know, so the big eye open lesson was that some people, you know, it's okay being a little L leader. Some people don't want the titles, but they want to be able to impact the world in a way that makes them feel well. And my job is to help support that in whatever light that may be. If they want to be that, that best, you know, mid-level, they're perfectly fine. If they want to be a frontline worker, guess what? I'm cool with that as well. You know, um, I, I, you've already said, if if you love it, I love it. That, there you go. That, that's how it is. I support you wherever you want to be. So that's awesome. And I love, and I just want to call this part out where I think you, you mentioned that you were really well-intentioned, but the implementation was maybe a little bit messy um, and not where it needed to be, where maybe now you'd be like what's your goal here like do you want to be you know tell me what you how i can best support you and kind of that service leadership uh, mentality i just love that that call out because sometimes i've had managers where i've grumbled and i, I don't understand what's going on and you can it, 
it's really easy to fall in that trap that it's malicious where it's maybe just a lack of it's good intention with a lack of skill and experience you know and, and understanding like gives you a little bit more empathy and be like because having led engineering teams uh contractors and, and whatnot it is really tough when there's no blueprint right agreed and so you're kind of a lot of the time people are figuring it out as they go um and if they don't ha again have that skill or that understanding or that ability to communicate directly and be like what do you want they can go um sideways so on another note one of the things i love to do with leaders is and i learned this at my time at walmart is when you go into a meeting with people you try to notice who is talking doing the most talking right who's doing the least amount of talking who looks really comfortable who looks uncomfortable um who seems to be organizing things who's you know um trying to build that social map and how the relationships work together like those people are friends those people maybe don't like each other and, and one, it's really fun and it makes meetings a little bit more interesting, especially if the topic's a little dry. Mm -hmm. um, you should be paying attention to the topic. But um, what I found is that information that you can glean from just observing people's relationships can help you more effectively tailor messages, tailor presentations, tailor um, actually getting consensus for things. And, and so I've I'm wondering, do you have any habits like that or any like things you like if you had like the Emmanuel like secret toolkit for leaders, like what would be like your favorite tool to to pull out when you're in a group setting or presentation setting? No, I think I think what you 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 described is is really keen. Um it's interesting. So I get the pleasure of being able to uh I teach and uh in, in higher education. And what you just mentioned, being able to recognize when and when you're losing a room, um, <laughs> being able to watch the intricacies of relationships and being able to see, you know, groups, you get to see a lot if you become observant. And I know I know as a leader, you know, or, or someone giving a presentation that could be so nerve wracking, right? Like I got to deliver this message. I got to make sure that they see the facts, figures, numbers and logic of what I'm talking about. And, you know, I know that's <laughs> kind of some of a pressure, like, am I delivering the right presentation to the, the message? But it's also paying attention to the people you're communicating with. Um, because it's the recognition that I think that they're the ones that are really going to help me get this going. Um, and and I so the toolkit that I think the tool that I would have is observance of your follower, right? Mm -hmm. And, you know, I know that may not be a very common word because I know we're talking about leadership, but we need to acknowledge the idea that, you know, you can only lead people who are willing to follow. And if you're not being very attentive to them, whatever that means, how's the temperature in the room? You know, are they sweating? Do they look uncomfortable? What's going on? Do they have like a glazed look in their eyes? Maybe it's up to me to not, I'm not interesting right now. Maybe I need to like get all wiry and crazy and use some hand motions or whatever. Maybe I need to break up this uh, presentation about an operating statement and make it more fun and hands-on. So I think part of it is, is being just observational of the people that are, are, are with you. Um, but then also recognize the ones who aren't, because again, there may be something there. And I think coming back to the humility part of it is, you know, if you notice you have team members, you know, I think you described the ones who are not engaged, the ones who seem to be a little dejected, it's stepping into the world to figure out what's going on. Because guess what? I can't assume it's about me. 
they might just have something going on at home. I mean, if we're honest with ourselves, the last 30 months has been very impactful on all of us in a multitude of ways. I mean, I think it's important to acknowledge there's still parts of the world that are facing levels of shutdown or famine or things that's going on. And you don't know the interrelationships that are people that people have that are either here or abroad. And I think when I, I step back and recognize, I always kind of have a practice of, you know, um, number one, what is my intent of what I'm trying to do? So that way I know that my heart is pure as much as I can. Um, so I kind of asked myself that question, like, okay, how, how, what, what's my intent? What is my purpose? Why am I trying to do what I'm going to do? And what's the intent? Number two, I try to evaluate what's the impact of this intent, because that starts to help me filter through what are the action steps that I need to take, right? So I have to evaluate my intentions. I evaluate my impact. And then I like what you said earlier, you kind of stole my word, like, what does the implementation look like, right? Because that starts to take in consideration of my team, who they are, what's being expected of them, right? And then lastly, I try to figure out how do we make it as easy as we possible as possible? I know that's not an I, but again, it's an E, but it's how do we make it as easy as possible? Because, you know, usually sometimes as leaders, what I recognize is because we may be so far away from the work at hand that we create overly complicated and complex ways to solve a simple problem, but it's because we're sitting over here and we're logically thinking it through when really, we want to make this as easy as possible. And what I will acknowledge is that last part, the easiest possible, that's when you got to ask for feedback. Yeah. Hey, what do you think about this? Hey, what about that? Here's the problem. Like, how would you guys solve it? Right? But it's always, I look at my intent. I look at the impact it's going to cause. I look at the implementation. And then we're like, now we're checking. Like, hey, how does this sound? We want to make this as at least as many steps as we possibly can. And that's what that last number, that fourth one is about. 100%. I love, I love that. 100. Like, um, it reminded me of a meeting I was in where we're doing, I'm working on this big software pro project um, for a big retailer that I mentioned before um, for their dot-com stuff. So it's a meeting of like 30 stakeholders, people from the warehouses, people from the business, technology people, various consultants, and uh, we're talking about how to receive goods into a building, right? Which seems very straightforward and it gets complex really quick when yeah. you scale up. I bet. And, and so we're talking about this and we have a consultant and another consultant and somebody on the business kind of going back and forth about how this should work. And I noticed the guy who works in the warehouse, just like the warehouse manager, just, he keeps trying to, to say something, can't, and you could see his face get redder and redder and redder. And so... I interrupt the three folks and be like, hey, we should check what this guy is saying. And he's like, this isn't going to work because this is how the process is on the floor. You do yeah. this, you do this, you do this. Everything you're talking about is just irrelevant. And, you know, the, you could hear the silence in the room. You could hear a pin drop. Yeah. And they were like, oh, okay, so we should, uh, how would you do it? And he's like, we'll do it this way. And this would make much more sense. And it probably saved our project three days of debate, it saved the technical people building this out, realizing it was gonna work, you know, a year ahead when the project got implemented. Yeah. Um, so the power of, you know, what is my intent? What's my impact? You know, how do I implement this? And then how do I simplify it? Like, and getting that feedback, I, it, it's huge. It could save a lot of time, a lot of money, a lot of heartache, broken relationships, all mm -hmm. that kind of stuff. 
And I love that that model itself is, is a very simple way to think about it. So awesome. Yes, sir. Awesome. So then since we're talking about leaders and leadership, how do you think like top talent, top, you know, the best leaders, you know, how would how would you define someone that is the top expert in their field or in their leadership skill in this particular case? Yeah, well, what I'll say is this, is that I think um, leaders create other leaders. Um, I know it's very easy when you said that, even I thought, oh, the person that's most credentialed, the one who has the most, you know, letters behind their name, the one who has, you know, the most peer-reviewed papers or, the, you know, the one who gets paid all the bucks, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think all of those are important. So I don't want to minimize those. I don't want to underscore the value of having, you know, further specialization. Um, I don't want to underscore the value of, you know, having, you know, expert in your field and being nationally or regionally or how about globally recognized in something. So I don't want to underscore that. Um, cause you know, the, the, there's a lot of those in the world, but I think, you know, for the majority of us is, are you able to lead people towards a common goal? I think sometimes we make it so the word so much bigger than what it really is. It's like, no leadership. Can you lead people towards a common goal? And sometimes guess what? That is just getting them a Chick-fil-A for lunch, right? If you, you've <laughs> ever tried to go to lunch with people and you're like, Hey, where do y'all want to go today? I don't know. Where do you want to go? I don't know. Where do you want to go? What about this? And Hey, sometimes it's getting them to lunch before your lunch break ends. Um, <laughs> but what I'll say is I think we're really spurns it is that a good leader is one who recognizes skills, talents, and abilities in others and allow them to grow to their fullest potential. Even if that means their fullest potential is not with me. I think that's a real key. If you're willing to help and pour into someone through their development, and then you're happy that they go, even if they that impacts you because now you're losing a very valuable member, then you know I think you've you've really won at that point. You know because the great thing about top talent is is that they're gonna always grow. Yeah. And you know, and I think, but it's also the for me, it's always been the recognition of um, there there there's gonna be a point where I'm no longer the Sherpa in this journey. There's gonna be a moment where they, they have their own mountain to climb that they may have to go and, and, and go spread their wings. You know, all the little proverbial, you know, motivational <laughs> stuff, spread your wings, whatever you wanna use. But I, it's the recognition that they, they, the parts of their journey may not include me and being okay with that and being, being very proud that I was able to impact the person's development that got them ready for the next step. You know, I never think that I'm the final step, you know? Um, And again, that would be very selfish if I did, right? That'd be tremendously selfish. And I think that would be doing them, but then also me a disservice if that's how I viewed it. A hundred percent. It's funny. I um, recently had uh, talked with another educator at the high school level, and he had the exact same point in that, you know, it, it's about the student, their experience, how they, um, you know, go about. It's not about what you're doing. It's about how are they learning or growing. It, it, it's that, sum it up, it's that act of service. And I, I think that's so important. Um, and it, it, it's, um, I'm trying, like, it makes me, I'm very excited that, you've had a lot of students that have had that experience um, and because of, of that realization. So 
uh, I just want to acknowledge that, that I think that's super impactful. And, and um, I hope that they then carry the torch to when they remember like, oh, Dr. UG3, like helped me get out of my own way, helped me, you know, be the best that I could be at that so that I could grow. Um, how do I, I pass this down? I was talking to someone today in a meeting and, you know, we were just talking about coursework and as you remember anybody who found themselves in college or, or heck, even high school, there were some classes you jived with that were really kind of like, man, this is my jam, you know, and I'm really good at this. And there were others that were kind of, right. And then there were others that you would just wanted to see your way through, if you know yeah. what I mean. Um, and some of the courses that I find myself teaching, I, I was telling them, I said, look, here's the deal. Um, all I want to know, I want to really help them. They, they can hate me now. This is, this is going to sound funny, but I said, here's my mentality. You can hate me now. Mm -hmm. You can appreciate me later, or you can never remember where you got it from. I'm okay with it as long as you figure it out. Cause again, I understand the courses that I teach are usually, you know, essential to their development. And right. it doesn't seem like it fits the puzzle right now. So that's why you can hate me now. Cause I get it. It doesn't always fit. It's not always comfortable. It is always predicated on you growing, but just, you're going to appreciate it later. Not necessarily me, right. but the content, the development, the growth. And guess what? You may never remember where you got it from, but all I hope is that seed is somewhere locked in a cabinet, somewhere in the back of the brain. So that when you need that thing, you're like, huh? This is how I do that. Where did I learn that from? I don't know. And I'm perfectly okay with it. I don't need the accolades. I just want to make sure the seed is planted, you know, so that one day it'll grow. Awesome. So like that. Um, so you're trying to do this for your students. Mm -hmm. um, in your journey, do you have like one or three, up to three different mm -hmm. um Pivotal or pivotal leaders or leadership training or leader or mentors yeah. that really helped shape who you are as a leader? Well, what I'll say is this is that, you know, I've always been really trying to seek, like, you know, I've always kind of said, man, I want a mentor or a mentor that I could just have this long-standing relationship. But, you know, as I think through this, you know, or think backwards, I think life is, you know, to be lived forward, but to be understood when you look back, right? Yeah. Um, and, you know, we talked about how I was able to pull these characteristics and skills from these amalgam of people that I had worked with over the time. And yeah. that's really almost how it still is today. You know, I just think the universe's way of like, hey, you know, I think some people are granted with that one person that they've had longstanding relationship with. Um, but what I'll say is, is I believe I don't waste any, I don't waste any relationship. I don't waste any learning. Um, and I think life gives you that all the time. I think sometimes we have, some people are gifted with one mentor. I think um, some of us are gifted with multiple people across a spectrum, but it's still up to us. Because, you know, oftentimes we get in our own way because we sometimes have a very fixed view on how things should look. Oh, I want that one mentor who's 22 years ahead of me, you know, three steps ahead of in the same industry where I want to be. Right. And I think that's valuable. So let me make sure like that is still valuable. Yeah. But you miss out on all of the other little pieces of mentors or mentorship advice that you can get when you get the opportunity to talk to people from other industries, from, um, you know, other walks of life, you know, of other interactions you may have. 
you miss out because if I was very horse blinded of like, here's what I think leadership and mentorship should look like, I would miss out on all of, you know, the people that I get to connect with through, you know, masterminds or coaching or, you know, these interactions that I have across departments or, you know, knowing that I have leadership in a seat. I know people in C-suites that I can reach out to for certain things. And again, at the end of the day, I may not be able to talk to that person in a C-suite whenever I want or multiple times a year, but like when I do, I'm listening, you know, <laughs> you know, I'm paying attention, you know, because again, you you glean from the interactions, right? You glean how they operate, you know. I guess what I, I know there's some leaders that I know that they they're very pivotal and, and and communicative and charismatic when they talk. The problem is it ain't very often, yeah. right? So that is very difficult to lead an organization, you know, when you have that. So again, I, I pick that up. Hmm, okay, when I get to that spot, make sure consistent and persistent communication is key. Making sure I'm setting a vision and letting people know. Making sure I'm articulating my values and everything that I do from how I interact for how I talk. You know, you gotta, you know, you can't just talk, talk, gotta walk the walk, right? So right. I'm picking all of these little things up, you know, and you know what I'll say in today's world, we have the privilege and opportunity of having mentors that we may never meet. You know, we have the ability to consume content uh across multiple platforms you know we have where it could be a 30 second something it could be a three minute long video it could be long form content it could be sean butner and his con and his podcast right <laughs> that this is going to be something that will live on into perpetuity that you know we get the privilege of being mentors to others that we may never meet but that doesn't mean we minimize our service to them and i think that's just key awesome awesome and i can't agree with you more on that so um yeah then switching gears um moving forward if you're talking to someone that was newly in a leadership position either on like coaching a sport pharmacist you know leading mm -hmm. a you know pharmacy shop yeah store whatever yeah. um i just completely blanked on on hey it's okay no one knows we're in the back of that store anyway so yeah. okay. <laughs> fair enough um <laughs> you know, a beginning leader, what would be like the one to three things you would tell a beginner to really focus on to make sure that they are maximizing that opportunity and not repeating mistakes? Oh, agreed, agreed. It's really a three-step formula. It's okay. really a three-step formula. And it really, it, it, it has to follow this cadence. Number one, you really have to look at yourself. You know, you got that role, you got that position, uh, you know, toughen up, be vulnerable with yourself and figure out what are the things you need. You know, do you need to go to Toastmasters to learn to speak in front of people? Do you need to, you know, go take a course or get your green, uh, let's say uh, your green belt in Lean Six Sigma? Go figure out what you need to do to develop to get that going. Because I can tell you, oftentimes we are thrusted into leadership positions well before we're ready, right? Yes. You know, just because you're the best programmer doesn't mean you need to lead a team of programmers. And I think that's a, a flaw of like, you know, our, our cultural organizational systems is just because you're good at, you know, you might be the number one salesman in selling cars may not be the reason why you need to be the GM because they're functionally two different jobs. So what you did on the lower rung, I promise you doesn't really prepare you for the next rung up. So number one, focus on yourself. What do you need to develop to be able to step in that role fully? You know, and that might even be a reflection on what are my gifts, talents, abilities, strengths, and weaknesses. Go do a whole SWOT analysis since we talk in leadership, right? Yeah. Go really dive into yourself. So number one, focus on self. 
Number two would be focus on system. So wherever you're finding yourself, whether that is car salesman, whether that is a, a, a computer programmer or in healthcare, a pharmacy, what is the system that you're following? So do you need to understand standard operating procedures? Do you need to understand workflow? Do you need to understand the um, financial operations? Because you have to master that to be able to understand how well and how good you're doing, not only for yourself, but guess what, for your higher ups. Because you know, most of us have bosses and they're gonna be looking for key performance indicators. They're gonna be looking at metrics. They're gonna be looking at efficiencies. They're gonna be looking at profitability, right? So again, you need to understand that system, but recognizing what you did before may not be what you need to be looking at now in a new role. Then the third one is now we get to your team. Now, I know that may feel counterproductive. Well, Emmanuel, Dr. EG3, you've been talking about service to others. Like, why are they number three? Because if I don't understand the previous two, what is the real service that I'm providing them? I could be nice to them. I could sit there and hold their hand. I could be as catering, human, uh, humble, and, and, and you know attentive, but I'm not really helping them fulfill their key purposes, not just within the organization and life. So really, at the end of the day, I'm, I have you are now responsible for a team that you are responsible for helping them. That's way more than that organization, you know, um, and I think there's a, a toxic thing in, in work culture. You know, you've heard it. You got to leave home at home and work at work. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, that is disingenuine to think that we're able as human beings to dissociate. You know, sometimes your employees are having struggles at work because of something that's happened at home. Yeah. How about this? Sometimes your team is having struggles at home because of stuff that's happened at work, right? And I think it's being sensitive that and realizes is is you know it goes back that goes back and forth. It's not just one unilateral experience. So those are the three things that I tell everyone when they step into a new leadership position. Dive into yourself first. You, the system, your team. And that's the order. You have to kind of go that way. Now, I know that is way more simplistic than, you know, obviously implementation, but it's like, those are your mental priorities. Yes, you're going to have to deal with some team members while you're working on yourself. Yes, you're going to be, you know, learning the system or whatever, but the priorities have to be in that line. Um, because again, you can only impact your people if you really understand yourself and understand the system. I absolutely love that the three-step part. And it, like to highlight that, I, I being a, a software engineer, seeing peers get promoted up in the management and not having the skills of leadership. And it is a skill, like we've talked about, it's communication, it's relationship building, it's observing, it, it's service, you know, and really getting out of your ego to try to make people lift people up. Um, you know, when you're not self-aware on um, what you're blind on, you just think you know it all, you go down these roads where people resent you because you're not giving the team a space to breathe. You know, when you don't understand how the work is actually done, mm -hmm. you don't get respected by the people that actually do know how to do it. And, or you get taken advantage of. Like, um, so I definitely, again, like this is a very awesome very, like you said, very simple, but very powerful three-step thing to keep in mind mm -hmm. as a new leader. So on the flip side, if you've been going at it for a while and you're work, so since you've worked at a regional level, so you're, you're like leading leaders, right? Mm -hmm. um, 
what would you give an intermediate manager or leader um, yeah. advice on how to grow their their leadership skill or leadership capability? Yeah, um, you know what I would tell anyone, especially because I heard you say go at it for a while. So I'm assuming the the example is someone who's been trying to get promoted or trying to go to that next level. Um, you know, I'm all for organizational loyalty, but sometimes it's being able to step out of that organization. Yes. You know, sometimes it's very difficult for homegrown talent to continue to be recognized because, you know, unfortunately, hey, it, you know, uh, uh, how should I say this? Um, some leaders aren't, aren't as transformational and service driven as, as you, Sean, right? Or as, you know, me, right? So it's sometimes they think, oh, as long as Sean is there, I have nothing to worry about. So, hey, I'm not really trying to allow Sean to grow and develop and, and grow because I know if Sean leaves, oh no, I'm gonna be in a whirlwind of hurt, right? And you know, sometimes it's shooting your shot. You sit there and you try to progress as best you can within your organization, but you know, you keep your options open. I mean, there's a lot of organizations out there that are looking for great talent. And it's unfortunate that sometimes that is that growth is not outside is outside of your organization and I, and if i could relate it back to a comment we mentioned earlier about how organizationally sometimes they will promote you out of your store out of your team sometimes you need to do your own promotion at another company you know <laughs> and, and that's a reality you know i wish i could tell your audience that oh no it's all about the hard work it's all about the development you know sometimes we have good leaders and sometimes we don't and sometimes there's a, a spectrum in between and it's being able to recognize that if you've put the work in and, and what I'll say is this, if you've genuinely put the work in and meaning meaning that you're working on your development, not just your attendance, because mm -hmm. I think that sometimes we get conflated as well. I've been at an organization X number of years. So therefore I, there's a difference between attendance and performance. And I think we need to self-check ourselves. So if we've been, you know, to your point, to your, to your usual words of going at it for some time, I think that is a moment where you might have to find a mentor, someone to bounce something off of. Maybe there is a, a lack of self-awareness or ego that's not allowing you to go there. You know, it might be your boss. I'll give it a hundred percent. It might be your boss, but also the other side of that coin, it definitely might be you and is being able to step to that. So if you are looking to be a leader, you need to have that self-awareness and that uh, you know humility to be able to look at, maybe it's me. Yeah. And then you'll really grow, right? Yeah, nobody wants to know their weaknesses or their opportunities. I know we try to, we don't say weaknesses no more. We say opportunities, um, <laughs> you know, but at the end of the day, nobody wants to hear that, but it's essential because now I know what to work on, right? Yeah. Now I know what to go do. Now I can go in the lab and create something, you know? so. And I would much rather someone choose to humble themselves to look at their opportunities because you and I both know organizations will do it and they will humble you. And then your opportunities become reasons for you to be performance managed. And performance managed means they can move off of you, you know, for any any or any little reason at, at, a, at a moment. So, you know, that, that's what I would have, you know, know if that helped. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, totally. I, I think... My experience working for Apple and, and Walmart, which are very large organizations with a lot of lateral movement, is that as an informal, like just thought leader, individual contributor, that switching teams gives you perspective on how things were done. So when a team comes up with a problem that maybe another team solved, it's low-hanging fruit to kind of show up and, and offer an idea that might be really helpful. So I think that cross-pollination or 
pollination that's a hard word on a, a Wednesday afternoon here yeah. um, really can help you shine in a performance kind of way um, but yeah that that what is holding well, how am I holding myself back that question um, it's tough to ask it's tough to have people you trust to ask that that question of and it's hard to get honest feedback right and I, I think as a coach that that's another reason why people hire coaches is to get that honest feedback that's not necessarily brutal or cruel but it's just like hey this is what we need to work on um and and most people i think can answer that for themselves too with a little bit of a sounding board of of this is what i'm trying to accomplish you know you, you do that digging work to be really really helpful but uh, I think that's amazing. So um, let's see. What habits keep you on purpose or mission each day, each week, or each month? Or right, what helps you connect to the meaning of what you're doing as a leader in, in this context? Well, no, definitely. Um, you know, habits have been something that have come to go, come and go with me. I wish I was one of those more regimented, you know, when you are a, a, a girl dad, <laughs> life changes quite frequently and often. So having habits and routines are, um, are sometimes a challenge. But what I will tell you, Sean, is that I've always been very priority driven. So okay. if nothing else, if nothing else, I, there, there's a one thing, two things that I do. Number one is just always at the beginning of the week. I'm not going to lie to you and your audience and say I do this crap every day. I don't. No, oftentimes it's Sunday afternoon. And really, it's not even always like a write down. Sometimes it's just a sit in the moment. What big things do I have coming up this week? right what are big things where are they at on my calendar you know what days do i have to prioritize you know just kind of that maybe prioritizing energy effort just so that i know what's coming up so i know how well, look how much fight do i need to bring to something right Ooh, that meeting <laughs> might be kind of tough all right let me make sure i do a couple of leg squats and push-ups before i go in because i need to be ready whereas other ones oh this week's not that bad so one is really always stepping back and looking at okay what are the priorities this week right and usually that'll lend itself at some point to what are the priorities of this month like what's going on okay it's, it's july coming up what do i have going on oh i gotta go to a conference gotta go to a mastermind you know I me mean? kind of think of that yeah so that's the one thing that i always do habitually um is always identifying what are my priorities number two that has gotten really a much more helpful for me um is uh working out every day every day now i don't want to make it seem like I'm doing CrossFit or high intensity workouts. You no, know, sometimes it's, there is something simple, 30 minutes of cardio, whatever I choose, however I feel that day, 50 push-ups, 50 sit-ups, you know, maybe some leg squats and that's about it. Um, and the reason for that was it was what I, what I stepped back, I had, a, I had an epiphany earlier this year and, you know, I have young kids and really what I did was I shifted my motivation as to why. You know, as we know, healthy habits are very difficult to maintain yeah. if your, you know, um, if your excuses are bigger than why you're doing it, then usually your excuses win. But mine became, I just want to walk my girls down the aisle. Mm. But I just step back and think like, okay, she's this age, this age, oh man, that's going to put me 25 years. Well, I got to do what I can, the best I can to make sure that this decrepit body 
<laughs> it takes it to be able to walk that that kiddo down the aisle, you know, two decades away from now. And really that, and again, that's been a really good motivator. But what I've also learned in these, what, five months since I started that, my body recognizes the days that I don't. Mm-hmm. You know, it's almost like the body's craving it more than the mind at this point. And, you know, those days and for whatever reason that I, I, I skip or, you know, just for whatever reason, schedule got chaos or I couldn't hit the, I had to hit the snooze at 445 and I just couldn't get up. Yeah. And then I feel all old and decrepit. Like, oh my goodness, why is my hip clicking? Why can't I get up? And it's like <laughs> the body's like, bro, you didn't go do what you were supposed to do. Yeah. So I would say those are the two things primarily that, that really have kept me trajectory forward. And I guess a more informal one is just, I'm always trying to connect with somebody every week. You know, whether that's a check-in, whether that's a text message, you know, really just trying to learn about people and connect with them, whether that's on Instagram Messenger or whatever. It's just a practice that I have now um, of just checking in on people because, you know, this world is, is crazy and, you know, people need to know you're thinking of them and people need to know that someone's out there, you know, just willing to check in. So, yep. so those are three things. So super, super awesome. So one last question then, um, what from our discussion today did you love and really stuck out for you? And you think would be like, if there's one lesson from today that we talked about with the, all the, the things about leadership we talked about, yeah. you know, centering around service, centering, centering around um, helping rise people up you know, to the best version of themselves in two broad, big categories, uh, what, is, what do you think is the most important thing we talked about today well what i what i'll say is is that you know having helping individuals become their best selves i think that means so much to so many people and i think there's a gap in this world so you know you asked me earlier like why leadership and i just think that we have a lack of leadership you know um and you know leadership does not mean getting someone to a promotion it could but it depends on if that's what the person wants yeah. Right. Sometimes it's about, hey, I want to be a better mom. I want to be a better dad. How about this? I want to be a better son. I want to be a better daughter. Right. Um, it might be about work, maybe. But sometimes it's can I lead them literally to being able to coach their little kids softball league. Right. And it's being able to just allow people to grow and, and give them a space and helping them to find carve outs so they can do what they say they love. You know, and, you know, we all have responsibilities. But it's also helping people to do things they love and grow to be the best version of themselves. But then giving them the pen and the paintbrush to determine what that that looks like. With that, Dr. EG3, thank you so much for being on the, the podcast today. I don't think we could end on a much more perfect note than that. Um, I'll have in the notes below the podcast how to contact you on Instagram and um, your website. Is there anything else going on um, we should point the folk, good folks to? No, no. I mean, it, it's a it's a long time. Obviously, you know, Sean, as always, I thank you for having me on. It's always a great time when you and I connect. You know, whatever I could do to best serve you and your audience, I'm, I'm here for you guys, you know. Oh, well, we appreciate you for that. All right, Dr. EG3, we'll uh, talk to you next time. What a great conversation with Dr. Emmanuel George. I 
just love these podcasts, guys. Okay, so first off, you can learn more about Dr. EG3 online, and the links are below in the show notes. Uh, number two, the takeaways from today that I think you can help to live a little bit more meaningful are to know yourself and your blind spots, to know your environment that you're working in, and to know the team that you are leading, right? Very, very simple. So if you do me a favor, make sure you go to Apple Podcasts and like and subscribe to this podcast and leave a comment that helps us get the word out, helps us you know, make this as impactful as possible. If you want to learn more about me, Sean, your host, go to www.sean.coach, S-H-A-W-N.coach. And then make sure to listen to the next episode because this is actually concluding the first season, the first experiment of the Meaningful Revolution podcast. So um, I don't have the next one as I'm recording this right now, but uh, as soon as it's out there and up, make sure you download it. Thank you so much for being on this journey with me. Uh, Thank you so much for joining this Meaningful Revolution with me, and we'll see you in the next episode. Take care.